So this week I am sharing a really exciting announcement. And if you're listening live this week, I'm also bringing back one part of my three-part series on how to unlock the power of ChatGPT. And I'm doing both of these things because I just launched a new ChatGPT resource for nonprofits that I am so, so excited about. It's the nonprofit ChatGPT headquarters. So for those of you who are longtime listeners, you have heard me talk about ChatGPT before. I am really bought into this tool. It is not some fancy, super techie tool that needs to be built out and figured out. It should be as integrated into your workflow and as simple as Google Docs. It's a capacity builder and a time saver. And my goal is to make it easy for organizations, particularly small and growing organizations where time and money and capacity are really an issue to tap into the power of ChatGPT. If you aren't, you're leaving capacity on the table and I want to help you solve that problem. So I took the questions and the conversations that I've been having with nonprofits for the last really six or seven months and turned it into a concrete tool, which is one of my favorite things to do. The nonprofit ChatGPT headquarters is an all-in-one workspace that supports you at every phase of using ChatGPT in your workflow, from giving you ideas to giving you prompts that you can cut and paste right into ChatGPT, to giving you an already built out place to save and organize the prompts that you like, the personalities that you try, and all of the work that you do using ChatGPT. So, If you are still on the fence about ChatGPT, listen to this week's episode. If you're listening to a different episode and hearing this preview, head on over to this week's episode and get inspired. And when you're ready to take the next step and start saving you and your team hours of time and brain energy every week, you can head to brookrichiebabbage.com backslash ChatGPT dash HQ and grab the workspace. Enjoy. This week's episode is very, very special to me. It is a tribute to my sister, Darcy Ritchie, who passed away at the age of 40 in April of this year. Darcy was the Chief Program and Impact Officer at Generation Citizen. And last spring, I invited her to join me on this podcast to talk about two of her many superpowers, communication and team building. I called Darcy the communication whisperer. She was one of those people who could be in any situation with any group of people and find her way to the heart of what they were trying to say. She had a unique way of making people feel truly seen and heard, which is really what communication is all about. Most critically for her work, she was able to help others do that for one another. Darcy spent her career building and sustaining incredible high-impact teams, starting when she was the founding principal of a charter school at only 25. She built and managed national teams and remote teams, small intimate teams, and sprawling layered teams. And at the root of it all, she was simply excellent at communicating and at helping build the capacity of those around her to do so effectively as well. I'm replaying this episode as a tribute to my sister and to her work. I hope you enjoy. 
Hi, thanks so much for tuning in to the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast, where I do a deep dive into the strategies and mindset behind launching, scaling, and leading a high-impact nonprofit. I'm your host, Brooke Ritchie Babbage, and I'm so excited you're here. You're listening to episode number 17. This week's guest is very, very special to me. She's a longtime leader in the education, youth development, and nonprofit spaces. She is a master at team building and communication, and she is also my sister, Darcy Ritchie. Darcy is the Senior Director of Programs and Impact for Generation Citizen. I've invited her to join me to talk about something that lies at the core of almost any conversation about effective leadership, and that is communication. More specifically, I wanted to talk about the how and the why of building teams. This has come up a lot in my conversations with people in the last few weeks. And since I have taken to calling Darcy the communication whisperer, I thought she'd be the perfect person to help break down what we mean when we talk about building trust on teams and repairing trust on teams and how we actually go about building and holding teams that can do high impact work in mission centered organizations. Darcy is like one of those people who can be in any situation with any group of people and find her way to the heart of what they are trying to communicate. She has a unique way of making people feel truly seen and heard which is really what communication is all about. And most critically for her work, she's able to help others do that for one another. She's been building and sustaining high-impact teams her entire career, starting when she was the founding principal of a charter school at the age of 25 and built and managed a team of layers of people. She's built and managed national teams, remote teams, small intimate teams, sprawling teams. And at the root of it all, it's worked because she's excellent at communicating and at helping to build the capacity of those around her to do so effectively as well. So I thought it would be a lot of fun, A, to talk to her, which I always love doing, and B, to share her expertise with all of you. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Darcy. How are you? I'm good. I'm really excited that I had the idea to have this conversation with you on my actual podcast. I'm excited too. It's just, it's crazy listening to your podcast every week and now you can Exactly. So like I told you, I want to talk to you about teams, about building teams, maintaining teams, managing teams, leading teams, sort of the secret sauce that goes into making teams work. So as I said in my intro, and I will say again for our listeners, we are sisters Yes, Uh, which makes this a lot of fun. And also, particularly because of COVID over the last year, I've gotten to spend a lot more time actually sitting in the room with you while you work, while you lead your team at Generation Citizen. And I've always known that you are probably the most effective and phenomenal communicator I know. But seeing it in practice and seeing you sort of apply your natural given skills and talents to to a team that you have not even met in person. Yeah. It's been really, really phenomenal. And so since this podcast is about how leaders can operationalize and think about strategies for building, scaling, and running high-impact nonprofits, and teams are so central to that, I thought you would be a great person to talk to about teams. 
So that's to share my thoughts. Awesome. So let's kick off just sort of going right to the core of things. I have taken to calling you the communication whisperer, like the (laughs) dog whisperer, the horse whisperer, some (laughs) non-animal. Dog and horse? (laughs) Teams, dogs, and horses. Yes, okay. Um, But, you know, like the person that sort of comes in and like makes everything work in some magical way. and. Whether it's your personal life, as a manager, as a peer, you always manage to keep people and teams together and working really smoothly. And my sense from you is that it comes down to trust and communication. So I guess my first question for you is, is that sense right? Are those sort of the core elements of a well-functioning team? And what else is there? Um, Well, you definitely named the two things that I think about the most, trust and communication. I would say I think about communication at least once every single day. And so I do think those are the core elements, like secret sauce to any team. But I would also add joy. I think that any team that I've been on, when I was on in Teach for America with Tasha and Karen, when I was in Uncommon Schools and I was working closely with Emily and Amy, like any team that I'm on, you have to have joy. You have to laugh. You have to have fun. And so I would say those are the three elements, trust, communication, and joy. I love that. I really love that. And I think one thing that a lot of people have been thinking about over the last year, year and a half, you know, as we've been navigating COVID, how do I keep my team together? How do I keep us feeling like a team? That last piece, finding moments of joy together, laughing together, feels maybe even more central than the other two. Would you weigh them all equally or do they, are they interrelated in some way that sort of plays out differently depending on the circumstance? So it, I think it depends on the circumstance. It's kind of like when people say relationships aren't 50-50, they're 100%, 100%, and they ebb and flow depending on the situation. I think that's how trust, communication, and joy play out. You know, with my current team, I have fun with them. Yeah, you know, like we have fun together and and we have silly jokes and we can kind of like play off of certain things that happen and we view things similarly. And that's both my internal team and my larger program team and my management leadership team. Like each team that I'm on, I enjoy them, you know, as people. And I enjoy like we have shared moments. And that's something that I found in COVID. Those shared moments can happen. You know, everybody was I was nervous about starting my role during a pandemic and not actually meeting anybody in person and how will that play out? But you have those shared moments, whether you're in person or whether you're virtual and you have to just bring that joy. So I think depending on whatever the situation is, one of those elements will be there's one or two of those elements will either spike, you know, this is like a big trust moment or this is a big communication moment. I really love that point that we don't have to be in person to experience joy together. And finding ways to have sort of shared moments that we can then reference and that the intimacy and a sense of connection can absolutely happen in remote teams, on remote teams. Yeah. I think I'm really glad you mentioned that. I want to dig a little deeper on trust. So I spent a lot of time talking with the organizational leaders that I work with about building trust on teams. And I've often talked about how I think as a society, as people, as leaders, we always talk about trust as it pertains, or not always, we tend to talk about trust as it pertains to liking people, right? We equate trust with liking people. I trust her so I would have coffee with her, or I trust him so like we'd spend time together. And if 
I don't feel like I'd want to spend time with that person. I must not be able to trust that. Yeah. Yeah. That I think does not do us a service. I think it does us a disservice. And I know that you talked explicitly a lot with this team that you are leading and the various teams that you've led and built over the years about how you build and cultivate trust on a team. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd love, I have a sort of a two-part question. How do you build actual sort of trust in the way that one needs to trust one's team members to work with them? And then I'd love to talk about how you repair trust, because I think that's also something that we've seen a lot during COVID and just as teams have shifted. So let's start with how you build it. Well, I want to I want to go back for a second because to your first question of like what are the key elements of a team? I would say trust, communication, and joy are the umbrella elements, and then all of the smaller components fall within that. So, like relationship building is key to teams. Like that has been top of mind in being on a new team that I'm on now. But that falls under trust, and with communication you know, falling under communication is how you operationalize your interactions. What are your operational traditions as a team? So there's all these other components that come into play, but I would say they tend to fall under the categories of trust, communication, and joy. So I just wanted to clarify that point. But to your question of building trust, I think that trust is very often misunderstood. And it's what you're talking about. We reference trust as this umbrella thing, but what I mean about trust is different than what you mean about trust. So if, you know, if I'm interacting with you and I say, you know, trust has been broken, that doesn't clarify the problem. Right. Because it means something different to both of us. So one of the things that I really have clung to in my career is this idea that trust actually means is broken down into five components. Benevolence, So showing kindness to other people, honesty and authenticity, credibility, openness, and reliability. And when trust is broken, it's usually one of those categories, one of those things that is broken. Being able to notch it down and what are we actually talking about? Exactly. To be really specific, really concrete. And so when you're building trust, I think what you have to do is you have to know yourself well. And you have to be open to really trusting the people you're working with. And I super trust my team. Yeah. And so we're able to build trust because I actually trust their work and what they're doing, but they also have to trust me. And so I have to know myself within those categories to know what I do well. And I think in those categories, one of the things that I do well is like credibility. I feel comfortable and confident in the work that I do and the experience that I've had and authenticity and honesty. I bring my full self. I'm true to who I am. And then I also know the things that are challenging for me. And one of those things is benevolence. And not to say I'm not a kind person. I know you. <laughs> No, I'm not like see my face, but I'm like, that's what I would have picked. I know, I'm not a villain. I'm definitely not a villain. But I do think, you know, through my career, I can say I'm not prideful. So I can be honest about the gaps that I have. And one of them is, I don't always, I feel a lot of kindness and I feel a lot of appreciation for the work that people do, especially when they're working for me. I don't always communicate that really quickly and easily and efficiently. And so since I know that about myself, that was, I actually was upfront about that with my team. I was like, I appreciate you all. I may not show it all the time, but I'm working on that. And so I try and explicitly like give myself reminders that I'm just like, you know, they're working on current projects and I'm just like, wow, Juanita did a really great job with this, but I actually have to say that. I have to verbalize that. 
Um, and that's a gap that we are strong on. It also strikes me that sort of having a common language within this big umbrella of trust, mm-hmm. um, or sort of specific language, also helps clarify what you need from other people, right? Mm-hmm. So they're like, let me try to be really open and honest with you about what I'm bringing to the table and how I can work to build trust with you. And here is how I define benevolence, right? Here's what I need in terms of benevolence. And it could be that I've been on teams with people where one or two of those five things you mentioned are more important to some people on my team and another two are more important to other people on my team. So it's almost like the love languages, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Here's how I show and build trust actively. And here's how I receive and need. Here's what I need from you to build trust. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that in a really explicit way, you know, I know that like benevolence is a really big deal to Bonnie and credibility means a lot to Megan. And I also know like my trust in them leans into one of those elements more than others, but everybody is different. And that's where kind of communication starts to flow in. Yeah. And those, those other elements, everybody is different. So it actually is a big deal for some of my team members. If I cancel a meeting or miss a meeting, you know, if I do that too much, because for them, reliability is trust, you know? And so it's it's important to, to be able to communicate those and say like, I know myself, like you've got to be honest that's a really big deal, but people can miss meetings with me. And I don't, that doesn't infringe. I don't start thinking about their character and like language. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. It's also, and this is sort of the intersection, trust, joy, communication, the sort of trust communication intersection there is really fascinating because I think about the role of people who are leading and managing teams, Mm -hmm. creating space in which people can cultivate trust. Yeah. That it reminds me a little bit of parenting and not in the sort of paternal, <laughs> not like, but the way in which, you know, mom has always said, you have to get to know each of your children. Right? Yes. You have, who they are. Mm-hmm. have the capacity to really just get to know who each of them are. Yeah. And I find that that's definitely true in my own life. And part of what I hear you saying is if I'm leading a team where I am, where I'm serious about building a culture of trust, right? Yeah. Active trust that allows us to work together. Part of what I have to make time to do or find a way to do is get to know each person on my team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what does it mean to build trust for them? It isn't just this umbrella of like the value of trust up on a wall that we believe in, but it's active. Um, yep. It requires figuring out how to communicate. And you named that before, but I think love languages falls under that. Yeah. You know, knowing what your love language is and then also knowing what your kind of like trust language is. So that leads me to my next sort of category of questions, which is... Well, I want to say one thing about to the other side of your question, which was like... I'm how sorry, do you, are you to move on now. Oh, <laughs> okay. No, I want to pause back. I want to pause back. <laughs> I'll say it quickly and then we'll, and then we'll follow your lead. <laughs> How do you repair trust? Yeah, that's right. And I think it is, I mean, repairing trust is, I will say I've never been on a team where there hasn't been some broken trust. Of course. It's like it's, any relationship. Exactly. It, it happens. And so I think repairing trust is about, first of all, it takes time. It takes a lot of time and you have to dedicate the time and you have to communicate like you're in it for the long haul. 
you know, like let's do this work to repair trust, but it's about that intersection of communication and and trust where you have to find a way for people to, you kind of have to build trust for people to be like, I'm going to take a risk and actually communicate to you authentically about where trust is broken and say to you on this team, we have not felt the leadership has been reliable or on this team, we have not felt the leadership or my colleagues are very benevolent, you know, and you have to feel, you have to be able to take a risk and actually say, here's a specifically what it is. Cause without revealing the true component of trust that's broken, you can't fix it. Which goes back to why it's powerful to have a shared language. Yes, exactly. So you used the word risk a couple times. Mm-hmm. Why do you think people feel like it's a risk to say, what about their trust relationship with their colleagues has been broken? What's the risk there? I feel like it, it kind of, this is where identity comes into play and baggage and history. Yeah. You know, I think about myself as a black woman and I've had experiences in my career where I've kind of leaned into taking the risk and being honest and authentic about what challenges I'm having. Mm-hmm. And I've been, you know, faced or people have responded with like, whoa, whoa, you're being a little aggressive or like, <laughs> yes. you know, if I'm just like, I don't like X, it's like, whoa, that's intense, you know? And so there is a risk in me revealing myself and being authentic because I could be judged. And I'm I'm kind of like, I'm opening myself up to other people's biases. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I remember when I first started sort of hiring people when I was building my team initially at RAP and sort of learning, you know, how different people communicate and different communication styles. And some people are fast processors or external processors. <laughs> I am both a fast processor and not an external processor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's true. One of the early conversations that I had with one of the directors on my team was that she shared with me that I didn't always feel as available. Mm-hmm. she was an external processor. She really talked through things out loud. That's like how she figured things out. And that felt deeply oppressive to me. And what we had to figure out, and this is where our ability to build trust, and it was one of the most amazing, effective working relationships I've ever had. But it's because we figured out how we were going to communicate with each other and build a bridge despite having very different sort of ways of being in trust languages. So, you know, speaking to the judgment piece, I was her boss. I was her new boss. I mean, this is three months into our relationship. We were doing our check-in and she, she did take a risk and say how I work best. I don't feel like I'm getting as much of you as I would need. And I'll be honest, my first thought, for those of you listening, you know, who are leaders and think that we have to, you know, our first thought has to be the benevolent, <laughs> yeah. kind understanding one. My first thought was, maybe this isn't the best place. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm like, I like working the way I like working. And what I'm hearing you say, you know, I had my own, I was in my own movie. And part of what comes up for me in this conversation is, if you are the leader of the team, keeping an eye on the sort of end goal, right? If the people, these are the right people. Yeah. Right? And we are doing something amazing and beautiful together. Then of course there will be times when somebody says, what I need from you is this. And you're like, I don't know if I can do that. Mm-hmm. And I think that some of the trust being broken comes from when that moment arises, you are judged, right? A person does look and say, I don't know why you need that. 
or like, I don't know, you're asking for something that's too much or you're being aggressive. So there also has to be space for that person to come back and say, so I got that wrong. Mm-hmm. Can rewind yes. and yeah. try again. You know, there has to be room to communicate, forgive yeah. and take. And it comes down to, you know, for some people, for some managers, credibility is a huge element yes. for them. And so when somebody makes a mistake, yeah. There is a risk where it's like, can you do this job? And I happen to be a manager for whom credibility isn't a big thing for me. Honesty and authenticity is. So I think that has helped my management where I am like, take a leap. If you make a mistake, like I'm making mistakes, like you, need to you know, and I also kind of lucked out with, <laughs> I'm just going to say, like, I love my team. I love Generation Citizen. And so I'm coming from a place of privilege where... I just have a fantastic team. Yeah. You know, I have a really great team, but it does. I do have to know myself as a manager to be able to say, I say to my team, like, take risk. You can make mistakes. That's okay. And I can, I'm building trust when I say that, because I also know that I'm not going to kind of loop back to a mistake they make and be like, oh, but is this right for you? And why did you make that mistake? You know, I, you know, exactly. So I know myself well enough that I can actually put that forward as this element that I'm like authentic about. You can make mistakes. So talk to me about managing through layers, because I think a lot of what we're talking about works really well for the people who directly report to you, right? Mm -hmm. Or your direct peers. And I know that a significant part of your career. I mean, you started your first school when you were 25 and you built a team of, I don't know, dozens of people. And so right from the beginning of your career as a manager, you were managing through layers, right? You were managing people who are managing people who are managing people. And you had to figure out how to build a whole team and a whole culture. So I feel like a lot of what we're talking about is like, how do you build trust Mm one-on-one? But how do you do this? How do you build and sustain trust and communication and joy in a coherent way with a dispersed, layered team as a leader? Well, the first thing I will say, just as a throwback to when I was a principal, is I learned my management philosophy from failure. You know, I learned it from, I would say to my founding staff, like they taught me, you know, I learned I had a staff of 12 people when I was a principal for that first year and I was able to make mistakes. And then they kind of gave me the benefit of the doubt to like stick with me for all of those years that I was a principal. And so I learned, so everything that all of my philosophies about leadership have come from mistakes and have come from. In the case for most of us, we're willing to let ourselves make the mistakes. We will learn from them and be better. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's kind of how I've learned that. I will say managing through layers is about establishing a culture where every team member can predict a response that is going to be a trust response, a communication response, or a joy response. So it's not... So when I'm thinking about when I was on the team with Tasha and Karen, we were leading a team of... I always get this number wrong, but it was like 45 people. Karen knows the number better than I do. But it was through layers because we also had like close to 600 teachers that we were supporting. And so that meant that we had to be really concrete and transparent about what we stand for as a culture. And so for to give you an example, one of the things that we stood for, and there were a lot of mistakes that we made, but one thing we stood for is open, authentic communication. And another thing we stood for was feedback. 
we really tried to say giving authentic feedback. That is something we believe. That means that we had to look at all aspects of our operating, the emails that we sent, the team meetings that we led, the phone calls that we made. We, I mean, we had a remote team across the country. And so the Zoom calls, we had to say, how are, how is communication, open communication and how is feedback playing out in all of those interactions? And then if we're explicit about it with our direct reports, then they can be explicit about it. They just know what to be explicit about with their team. Yeah. So clarity and consistency. Yeah. And it's like, if it's one-on-one, then there can be a lot that's unspoken and organic. I talk about in some of the trainings that I do, how organizations, teams, leaders, there's sort of a natural evolution that happens from organic design, organic structures, Mm -hmm. organic leadership, right? That's intuitive, that's responsive. It's sort of me and you, we're feeling it out, we're going Mm -hmm. along. Things are unnamed. There are not a lot of structures, processes, norms that are identified. Mm-hmm. There's a shift as teams grow. And it sounds like as we add layers to team mm-hmm. from organic to intentional. And that's where you start to say, okay, what are the norms, the guardrails that sort of bound our respective autonomy relationship to one another? What are they? Let's name them. Let's agree on the names. <laughs> Let's be really clear about what actually is happening so that we can lean into what we like and start moving away from what we don't like. And that shift from organic to intentional sounds like it's really important as teams grow, as you add yeah. layers. Yeah. And the intentionality, I would say I learned that from being a school leader, but actually taking time, and we did that on my team, we took time to look at a series of emails. And one of the things we talked about is like, we are a, my direct team is a support team. We support all the sites. So we looked at a series of emails and I actually had them look at my email communication that I had and say, okay, if communication, and I want to define it, how I use it. Communication is about what's heard, not what's said. Mm -hmm. So if my intention is X is heard, then look at my email. Did that come across? What mistake did I make in this email? You know, how is my, because oftentimes people of color get feedback around tone. And so like, what do you think about my tone? And so we looked at email and I trying to use myself as an example, but to be really concrete and specific about like, we want this cultural element. Let's look at our interactions and see if it's actually happening. Let's watch a video of somebody's Zoom call. And see if like joy is an aspect of it. Like, are they having fun having their meetings? Like, are they enjoying their role? So I think it's about defining the cultural components and then actually looking to see that it's playing out. It strikes me that this all takes quite a bit of time. (laughs) You know, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, as teams grow, as leaders are thinking about not just building a team, but sustaining and maintaining a team. It strikes me that what you're talking about isn't accidental, right? It's mm-hmm. or, or organic, right? It's there has to be time in the schedule, time that is dedicated to intentional and deliberate culture building, culture definition, norm naming, team building. Yeah. It also strikes me that a lot of organizations don't do that. That's very true. I mean, one of the big mistakes that I made early on in my career, I was leading a school and I was not explicit about the culture. Mm-hmm. And when you're not explicit, the culture will develop itself. Yeah. And one of the elements that developed was 
venting that like people were publicly venting. And I was even caught in a moment where I was in like the staff meet in the staff like room and somebody like busted into the room and they were just like, oh, I can't stand this crap. And I'm like, okay, so I'm seeing a thing I don't want to see happen. (laughs) I was like, you know, you get to a point sometimes where you're like, you don't see the progression there, but you're in the moment. You're like, I'm in the bad place. Right. (laughs) This is now bad. I see the problem. And so like people were just like publicly venting like all the time and yelling. And so I was like, okay, this has to be corrected. But that's because I wasn't clear about like how I wanted us to communicate and how we wanted us to problem solve. And so we, luckily I was like partnered with Emily, who is a really great partner. And she and I talked about like, how should people communicate? How do we communicate? How do we want to give feedback? Because essentially venting is feedback that's not explicit, you know, not direct. (laughs) And so we established more of like a feedback culture and like an openness to feedback. And we actually had a staff meeting where I was like, I mean, this was, I may not do this again, but essentially (laughs) I was like, drastic yeah. Yeah. call for drastic measures yeah it was it felt drastic because I was like they're screaming in public <laughs> but, uh, but essentially I, I said to my team my staff I was like give me feedback go ahead like tell me how I can be better again listeners cannot see my face <laughs> you like you did what now <laughs> so young I was so young but this is like so I'm not like, any I'm not gonna do that yeah but luckily like I had relationships so people didn't take advantage of that moment luckily like by the grace like I appreciated that but it was kind of like we did feel like we had to say okay we need to be explicit about giving feedback and communication so like that was a example of when you make a mistake and you're not explicit about the things that you want to see in your culture and your team and how you have to shift to say, okay, here's what I actually want to see. And now I have to look at all my interactions, ways of operating, all of that to see how it's actually playing out. And all joking aside, I mean, I think one thing, I mean, there are lots of sort of operational challenges with the, I'm going to stand in front of a room. Everybody just tell me what you think I did wrong. Mm -hmm. But what it does do is signal going back to this repairing trust and the sort of five elements of it. It does actually signal a deep part of your personality, right? The authenticity, right? Mm -hmm. For you to say, look, I'm the leader of this school. I've made a mistake and we have to sort of reshape the culture. I am going to signal to you how truly I am committed to reshaping this culture by Mm -hmm. just putting it all out there. Yeah. So yeah, maybe that's not exactly, there's some dangers there, Mm -hmm. but it is an indication of the kind of leadership you wanted to demonstrate. Mm -hmm. And in that, it is consistent with who you are, right? As a leader. And so you were signaling something by doing, I think there's real power in that. So my last question is actually tied to some of what we were talking about earlier repairing trust and a little bit of what we're talking about here, but you did work turning schools around, right? Turning into turnaround work around the country. And it meant that you were sort of going into broken teams Mm -hmm. with people you did not know, right? They would sort of find you from wherever they were, different parts of the country, and fly you in when they were in moments of institutional crisis. Right. And So I'm interested both in whether there were common challenges that you saw 
sort of on a team level, right? So you pointed to one of them, which is not being clear from the beginning about the culture you want to build. I think another one we've talked about is like not making time, not making this a part of your job as a leader, right? Mm -hmm. To craft a culture and a team intentionally. I'm interested in whether there are other themes. And then what did you do, right? Like if you are a leader of a team, and this speaks a little bit to what you were just saying, and you sort of look around and you're like standing in the staff room and people are screaming, you're like, no, we are broken right now. What do you do? So let's start with like themes. Like, are there sort of common challenges on the team level that lead to this kind of breakdown that people can be aware of? Yeah. I mean, it again goes back to trust, communication, and joy. There's joy is the umbrella of the why. Like, why are you there? What are people passionate about? Why is everybody working for you? Why are they at the school? Why are they at the organization? And what excites them about the work and what also excites them about their lives? Yeah. You know, like just in general, what is exciting? Because part of the communication that we have as a team, my current team, isn't just about the work every single day. It's also about, you know, the fact that like, Eli was really excited about Universal Studios, right? you know, and both of Megan's daughters like went back to school and that was like a really big deal. And Bonnie got her beautiful little daughter, got new glasses <laughs> and Liz is getting married, you know? And so it's about like, what is exciting? Yeah. What's exciting for them, for all of us about just our lives living. And so I think those three elements come into play. The other piece that, when a team is broken that I think has been a trend is, well, I'll say the specifics about trust, but also just like identity harm, you know, harm around your character. And I, again, I think that's under the umbrella of trust, but like I pull that out because sometimes people are just really hurt. Hurt. Yep. Yeah. You know, and like, though you can rebuild that by being like, is it, have I not been reliable? Have I not been honest? But sometimes you just like hurt my feelings. Like you <laughs> have done things that are harmful. And when you're working with a team that has some broken elements, sometimes you have to look for that harm. And just start there. And just start at the harm. And, and the frameworks just be like, let's just talk. Let's talk about how you've been hurt. And also myself is because what you're referencing is me being a, a consultant. I, for the time that I was a consultant, I had to position myself as like the person who is, I don't intend to harm you, right? but I am also not the anti the person that hurt you. Right. You know, like I'm not, I'm not like the savior to your villain. I actually have to partner myself with that person because rebuilding, addressing harm isn't about you building a close relationship with Darcy. Right. Address and correct some of the feelings that you've had with the other person. In a lot of experiences, that person is gone. Yeah. And so we have to look at who is left that still represents some of those components. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. I mean, ultimately, I started off this conversation talking about sort of teams and culture, and there's a way to think about all of it. And I think my instinct, my orientation, you and I have talked about this, is, you know, I like frameworks, I like rubrics, I, you know, my instinct is to say, okay, like, how do we understand the systems of building teams? And what I think you do really well and what you've highlighted here is teams are made up of people. Right. And of course, there are yeah. 
practices, there are models, there are frameworks, there are things that if you want to build a powerful team, you should do, right? Focus on trust, communication, and joy. Get to know the people on your team. (laughs) Be clear and consistent, right? And you name some of those, but fundamentally at their core, we're talking about people. We're talking about relationships. We're talking about people who have feelings, who are living in their own movies, who are inviting you sort of into their world and want to be part of your world. And you have to, I think the biggest piece is you have to see each other's humanity. Yes. And when we are upset, when we're frustrated, when trust is broken, we start to lose that side of humanity especially as managers, not as managers, like losing a sight of humanity for the people we're managing, but almost (laughs) like I have to humanize myself as a manager if I'm rebuilding trust because my team can almost dehumanize me. They can not see me as a feeling person, you know, and that's a common thing that I see is when people are like, I don't trust my manager. They have upset me and frustrated me. That manager is like dehumanized. And so a lot of work that I did around turnaround was about humanizing the leader. Yep. Yep. And again, to go back to my slightly problematic example of parenting, I think- You go, you know, I'll talk about, you know, so a lot of listeners know I have a seven-year-old, a three-year-old. We've talked about Robert and Edward often. You know, some of the things that they... They're my whole world. I love them. That's right. (laughs) Feel comfortable saying are because, like, I'm mom. I'm not Brooke. Yes. I'm not Mm -hmm. Brooke, daughter of Roy and Julia, sister of Darcy, friend, right? I'm mom. And right now mom is doing this thing that is bothering me, hurting me, seems unfair. And the figure Mm -hmm. that is mom can withstand anything. I can say anything. Yeah. Yes. Oh, Robert Robert really presses on that. Right? Yeah. And (laughs) the way in which I you know, have both been on the sort of giving side of that in my sort of self-righteous 20s and on the receiving as a leader that, oh, I see what's happening right now. You are not communicating with me Mm -hmm. or hearing me as Brooke. You did yesterday, but then I did this thing, you know, or we had this disagreement and now I am leader with a capital L and you feel that you can say things to the leader with a capital L that I'm fairly certain you wouldn't actually say to Brooke. As a person, yeah. And it's probably because they themselves are feeling dehumanized. That's exactly right. You know, like that's where it's coming from. And so like being able to get down to a vulnerable place as a team is rebuilding. And the thing that I will say that I... Actually, I haven't highlighted this, but my team, my current team knows this is a really big part of my way of operating. Like I lean into conflict. Yes. I believe that conflict is, it can be very relationship building. But I want to just highlight really quickly for the listeners who do not know you as I do. You are not like an adversarial person. I'm like, burn it down, burn it down. Before you give your example, just speak for a second what you mean when you say lean into conflict. Because I think people hear that and they think, oh, there are people who are argumentative. There are people who look for conflict. And I think you mean something different. Because I don't like venting in public. Um, Yeah, no, I'm not argumentative. What I mean by leaning into conflict is I believe that behind conflict is vulnerability and authenticity. You don't run away from conflict. And so I don't run away. I think when you have identified a tension point, you've identified an opportunity to get closer and to kind of be vulnerable with each other and to be open. 
You know, if there's a tension point, and that's part of why I really appreciate and seek out feedback, because like if I've done something that you don't like, I've revealed a really vulnerable personal part of you, an intimate part of you. I want to learn about that. Tell me more about that. And if you feel frustrated with me because you feel like I haven't done something, there is an impression of me that isn't true to who I think I am. So we have to dig in. Got to bridge that gap. Got to bridge the gap. We've got to communicate because you are seeing me in a different light. And I think, you know, you and I talk about this often with mom, that mom can like view people in a particular light and be like, I know the elements of their character. I see the elements of their character. And in reality, by exposing that and leaning into the conflict and the tension that arises, you can get to know each other better on a really intimate, vulnerable level. Yeah. And that's what true trust is built on. Exactly. Exactly. Where you don't have any, you don't have to shy away from your failures. You don't have to shy away from your faults and mistakes. But it's like, yeah, I'm a fallible person. And now you know who I am. I love that. You really are just so good at this. (laughs) But it all has come from the six. (laughs) Well, in our next podcast conversation, we can just do a sort of a history of mistakes. Part two. Yes. How, what are the biggest mistakes that you've made? I feel like I should do like a panel conversation. Oh my gosh, please do. Right. That's a great conversation. What are the biggest mistakes that you've made? Oh my God. (laughs) I know <laughs> that's what I'm going to do next month. Yeah. Panel conversation. You're going to be one of the people. Just yeah. it's coming. I'll talk about him. <laughs> well, this was a wonderful conversation. I'm really glad you agreed to join me on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for having me. And I will talk to you very soon for family night. <laughs> it was like a couple minutes. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts and let your friends know. Finally, before you go, the doors to my Impact Accelerator are closing on the 15th of this month of May. The Impact Accelerator is a high-touch six-month group coaching and training program for small nonprofits that are ready to scale to their first million dollars in a sustainable way. You can apply for the Accelerator and get my free advanced private training with all of the details at richiebabbage.com slash nonprofit accelerator. That's all for now. Have a great week and I'll see you back here next week for more Mastermind.